Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations, a special holiday edition. Z, yeah, we can talk about how much you love this time of year. But we've been talking a little bit about congestion, emotional congestion, congestion of thought, congestion of action, of speech. And we see this a lot. There are a few things that you brought up which I thought were interesting. So uh, one is that there was some article you read about how guys are asking whether it's okay to tell their friends, I love you. Is it okay to say that I love you? And you found this really weird because you've lost so many people and it's an important thing to do. At least let the people know that you love them. Even if you're not going out and saying it, they should know that by your deeds, if not your words. But it turns into this weird sexual thing. And then we got to man up and we can't talk about how we feel. Uh, We talked about this with regard to what's going on in the political environment and Everything is polarized now, whether it's the conflict we're seeing in the Middle East or it's your feelings about Trump, and you have to take one side or the other. And when you take that side, there's no room for compromise. There's no room for understanding. Uh, There's no room for compassion. So just to be part of your tribe, you have to shut down compassion for the other side, which is something that's not very human to do. That's going to lead to congestion. And as we were talking about the Z, I was thinking a lot about myself because I've gone through this my entire life. In fact, when you first met me, maybe not the first time, but the first time we really sat down, you're like, dude, you look like you're going to explode. What's going on with you? What are you holding in? And as I've gotten to know myself more, or at least get a better understanding of why I've ended up the way that I did and some of the things I struggled with when I was young, a lot of it is just suppressing. You know, it's suppressing my ideas. It's suppressing my passion. It's suppressing anger at times. It's suppressing desire. But it's this idea that I just got to put on this mask almost to go out in society. So I don't want to offend anyone. I just want to go with the flow. I have to keep other people happy and comfortable. So put on that mask and everything about you that's human, you've got to shut down. Or at least that's what I went through for a period of time. And when you shut down everything about you that's human, even though you're existing, you're not really alive. And there are two things that happen. I mean, either you end up effectively deadening your spirit. And my theory is that that's probably why a lot of people uh, are on some form of narcotics, uh, whether it's social media or it's uh, porn or it's alcohol or cocaine. Um, You know, you kind of do something uh, to alleviate that fire that's burning inside. Uh, Maybe you watch TV until you pass out. You have other avenues that you can go down which drain that energy since you're not really able to express it. Uh, But if you don't do that and you still choke down whatever you feel and whatever you think, it becomes a very volatile situation and it leads to feeling like you're on edge and feeling like you're going to explode and lash out. And that's a lot of what I felt when I was younger and I, I still deal with some of that today, even though I'm much more aware of the problem. So just from a health standpoint, you know, we talk about disease as uh, being stagnation. So disease literally being dis-ease. Uh, dis-ease, there isn't a flow. There isn't a nice exchange of energy. There isn't a circular movement. And when we get into that mode, that's when you become sick. You become stagnant both physically and mentally. So those are states that we want to avoid. I guess it becomes maybe a little bit hard because a lot of this is almost beaten into us. It's conditioned. I mean, we talked about how certain ideas you just can't express in today's climate because you might offend someone else. You might lose your job. You might lose your friends. So that becomes a form of tension. Uh, There are certain things that are socially acceptable. And in some circles, there's this idea, oh, you shouldn't work out too much. You shouldn't move around too much. And maybe that's okay for some people, but for others, that's going to lead to poor health. Uh, So there are a lot of these things that we've just become accustomed to doing, which really shut down our humanity. And maybe another way to put the topic of today's conversation, Z, is how can we reclaim that humanity? I mean, we've got that fire inside. How can we reclaim that fire, channel it, and use it productively, but also do it in a way where we recognize the realities of the world that we're living in? 
you know, we're in a different time than we used to be. So maybe we do have to be a little bit careful. But give us your thoughts. How do we start thinking about managing that uh, that tension? Yeah, Van, there's a lot there. And for all of the folks that are opting out and hang out with us, what came to me in this moment as I was listening to that, and Caitlin's over there doing Twitter gram. And, and by the way, Caitlin is just looking great. She's struggled with some health stuff and she looks better than she's looked in a long time, just in terms of just her glow, her ardor. And then I was talking to her boyfriend, Pretty Tony, and he came in here and he was really sad about his parents. And he was telling me that and almost had tears in his eyes because his parents are losing their health. And he said, but you know, Caitlin and I are good. And his chest puffed up, his face glowed. <laughs> and Caitlin's giggling and everything, but that's the power of being a human being. It's the power of our ability to love and to care for people. And that is one of, maybe not being corny, but maybe being more scientific. It's one of the things that, that gives us perseverance. And when you start throwing that away, then you have nothing. Imagine if you were going through that and he had nothing. It would be much more weightier, much more harder to deal with life. I think that's why when I heard that question on the radio, just driving home on one of these idiotic shows, um, is it okay to tell for, for two uh, men, uh, heterosexual men, I guess, to say, hey, bro, friend, you know I love you. Whatever you need to do to express your affection for someone with clarity, your devotion, do it. It may not be just with words, but it would be whatever declaration or expression of effort to acknowledge that that human being did something for you. Like Pretty Tony said, we're good. And when he said that, it was so powerful because he's watching his parents die and he's very close to his parents. But because he has love in his life, it gives him an opportunity to get through that with a little less suffering. And this world we live in is suffering on a personal level, health-wise, mental health, and in a global level in terms of the crisis of humanity. And for those who are opting out, I think it's a good exercise for us to work on our humanity because that thing that is, that, that thing we call human, human is what has gotten us through difficult times, personal times. The part of us that becomes more barbaric, more savage, it is not sustainable in the terms of a healthier idea of life. At least in my take, I don't own the truth, but I, I, I have been on both sides of that. I was sitting talking to my good friend Shaka that was really recently released from 30 years in prison. And everybody who meets him says, how can he be so kind? Why is he so gracious? He was mistreated. He was wrongfully imprisoned for 30 years. And he came out with this enthusiasm for meeting people in life. He's unscarred, untattooed by his experiences. Though he has obviously anger and things like that and, and hurt and the idea to redress an injustice, when you meet him, that's what you pick up on. And people are always, and that's being human. That's what being a human being. And when we are that kind of human, it's hard for us to step over the dead and ignore it. Uh, we were just talking, Kayla and I, about the homeless, how to deal with the um, roving insane. And you and I have talked about the threshold of compassion, that we are reaching a tipping point where we don't have any more compassion left. And that is not a good place to be because it has taxed us so much that we stop caring. And when we stop caring, we don't have an opportunity to invite into an empty heart um, the warmth or protection and the energy that that gives us. So I would say in, in, in watching each other, watching our lives, we first know the people around us, and it's okay to tell them in whatever language you tell them, but also in the language that they can receive, 
how you feel about them. Because when they're gone, you won't be able to do that. And they will go. You will go. I will go. And when that day comes, when that moment is there, one weight that will be off your shoulders if you opened your heart is that I was open-hearted with that person. They know unequivocally how I felt about them. And I knew unequivocally how they felt about me. And that, that relieves you of that gnawing, consumptive stress that we're all walking around with, with too much of that. And we're trying to avoid hardship in one way, but also we're not inviting it in. We're not inviting in heartfelt connections in another way. They say that in the holiday season, this is the highest period of, of suicide. And it's one of the highest periods of divorce. Think about that. So it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of year, but it's actually the worst time of year because it's been co-opted by consumerism, right? So people are focused on things and not beings. Things and not beings. And one of the most beautiful things that I think people can do for the holidays is nothing. Don't do anything. And if you have, if you look at the world and you have trouble in the world, whatever team you're on, and this is sad to say that we don't have, we can't see our shared humanity. So I have to declare that whatever team you're on, are you on team America or team Palestine? Are you on team Yemeni, are you on team Israel? Are you on team uh, suffering in Africa? Are you on team war in Ukraine? You know, we have to figure out what teams we're on because we have this really screwed up view of humanity. Our humanity has become narrow and localized. Like I only see humans in my team, on my team. Well, we've already lost, we've already lost ourselves. We've already lost ourselves if we feel that way. And if you want to find yourself, create some sort of metric in your heart and, and of, of what is good, what is healthy, what is right without a label on it, without a team jersey. And then you will feel your heart will be real open it's harder to step over the dead. It's harder to create the dead that we step over. And that, is, that includes in these great international conflicts, but also in your everyday life. We were cleaning out the home of my mother-in-law. My father-in-law died a couple of years ago now, and they're finally ready to clear the house out. My mother-in-law wants to move, and she said, I guess it's time to move on. And I said to her, you will never move on, but you will move. Mind you, when you love somebody and they're gone, you never move on, but you do move. And you will acquire different experiences, but you will never move on, meaning disregard them because they made you who you are up to that day. So I found myself a bit frustrated with the experience because they were crying and going through all their thing. And I realized that my frustration wasn't so much what they were doing, it's what I'd been through. I have had to say goodbye to so many good people that I've developed a formula for it. I've developed a methodology of coping with death. And I realized that it wasn't them that was annoyed, it was me. I was annoyed that I knew how to deal with dead, death so well and how to manage and navigate it. Like I was just an old beat up street fighter or something that, okay, here we go again. Here comes another right hook. And they had never been hit with that. And I also had the frustration that I had told them before my father-in-law died, I had reminded them that life isn't forever. So right now, I want you guys to hug each other. I want you guys to laugh together. I want you to be still together so that those memories, when it's time to access those memories, they will be very clear memories. The sensations will be very clear. The feelings will be very clear. 
and you will not have any regret for what you didn't do. And that relieves the congestion of the soul, the congestion of the heart. And as you mentioned, Vin, all diseases, dis-ease is caused by stagnation and a lack of flow, a lack of ease. These things that you do with your beloved ease your heart. And I would suggest to the opt-outs to boycott consumerism for the two weeks of the holidays. That doesn't mean don't get anything, but minimize it because that trivializes the most valuable thing you have. That trivializes the thing that Pretty Tony said, I'm good. Are you good? And I'll know you're good when you can be still in your joy and your sorrow. Can you sit in the comfort of the person or persons that make life worth living while you're going through living? You know what I mean, Van? Yeah, Z, it's interesting what you're talking about, just sharing some of your experience about being this old soldier and having gone through death so many times that you've become hardened to it, or maybe not hardened, maybe it's the opposite, that you've opened yourself up, but you're used to it and you understand it. I think the upside of that is you recognize that time is finite, that there just isn't necessarily a lot of time. This life is over. It, I think when we get to the end, if we have the time to sit back and reflect on it, it'll feel like it just happened in an instant. You know, it was one continuous moment. And wow, I can remember when I was a kid. I can remember when I was a young person, when I was married, when I was middle-aged. And it just feels like you were always the same person. You were just here and then that's it. It's over. It's gone. So there's that aspect of it. And then there's the other aspect, which is the fragility. Uh, there's the fact that this could end at any moment. And every day we step into the world thinking that it's going to be a day like any other day. Uh, but one day it might not be, or one day it might not be for the people that we care about. I was just talking to a friend of mine, uh, someone who works on the social media with me. Uh, he was saying that he's taking care of his grandmother. He happened to be at his grandmother's house, and three people yesterday, I hadn't heard from him. I'd been texting him back and forth. And he said that he hadn't gotten back to me because three people broke into the house and attacked him. And they thought that his grandmother was going to be alone. So they were looking to rob her. I mean, she's this 80 year old woman. God knows what would have happened to her if she'd been alone, but he happened to be there. But this little skinny 25 year old kid had to fight these three people off and he somehow managed to do it. And he's got sutures in his head and wounds on his back. And from one instant to the next, everything could have changed. Uh, now, fortunately, he got out of this, but maybe you don't. You know, maybe you hit that point and life just takes you in a different direction. I mean, we see this every day in the world. It's on the news. It's in our feeds and social media. It's people who don't know whether they're going to survive and make it until the next day. So... I think having that perspective, of course, we don't want to overwhelm ourselves with sorrow, but just that recognition, Z, maybe the upside of what you've been through is it creates that open-heartedness. You know, it creates that imperative and maybe that sensitivity that whatever we feel, we need to express that. And not, I mean, I want to be a little bit careful because it's not a call to say whatever crazy emotion we have uh, we, we have to get that out and we just have to turn into uh, some lunatic who's going from anger to depression uh, to irritability. But if there are things that are fundamental to us that uh, we care about and uh, there are things that give us meaning and purpose and joy in this life, then we have to share that. We have to engage with that. We have to cultivate it because, frankly, that's all we got. I mean, we choose what constitutes a meaningful life. That's how we get through this craziness. I mean, this insane journey that we're on. We don't know where we came from. We don't know where we're headed. We just know that we're here. We know that life, in a lot of ways, is irrelevant. But we have to create that meaning. And part of creating that meaning is expressing what we feel and acting that out. And I think that gives us purpose. It gives us the contentment that we seek. And you're right, Z, when we don't do that, we start getting that congestion. Uh, we start feeling backed up. And I think about simple things. Um, you know, it's interesting that Peace had made this comment, and I completely agree with him. He said that when he's in an elevator 
full of people, he's the guy who's always going to say something like, hey, what's up, y'all, or make some joke about how you're not moving. And he said, that's just who I am. That's what I do. And I get that. I mean, I completely understand that because there's so many encounters where you're in a group of random people and it almost takes effort to hold back. So to do the socially acceptable thing, which is not say anything, uh, just stand there in silence, uh, how that became socially acceptable, I don't know. Uh, but to do that takes effort. It's like you're holding something back. The natural thing to do is to engage, to break down those barriers, to connect with other people. That's so much of who we are. Uh, but somehow, I don't know, maybe you've got uh, a perspective on this. I don't know exactly how we've lost this. Uh, some of it has got to be social media. Some of it has got to be the anxiety because all of that puts us in our own mind and then we get barriers up with the rest of the world and we're not present. So I'm sure that's part of it. In my experience, it predates the social media. I mean, I talked about my own experience being raised as a model minority and you don't want to show too much emotion basically because you don't want to take risk. You don't want to rock the boat. So whatever you're feeling you don't know how people are going to react to that. You don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. So you keep everything hidden and you keep everything shut down. So that's part of it. I think there are other causes as well, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. How did we get to this point? And maybe also, what do you see this doing? I mean, what does this do to people's health? Well, I look at all of us that share this planet together and, and I look at the crisis of health, right? We're at the uh, a huge uh, milestone of mental health issues. Uh, same way with the, our health isn't really evolving. We're not getting healthier. Um, and, and, and I think you ask, well, where did it start? I don't think it just started with social media. I think social media supercharged it, accelerated it. Because one of the ways of managing people is to create tribalism and divisiveness, right? So a lot of religions come up with these superstitious stories about uh, you know some group of people that did this fantastical thing and then everybody wants to claim that they're a part of that particular mythology or fairy tale and then they live their life and then it creates otherness, right? It's us versus them, right? And it fits for a very concentrated way of concentrating resources for certain people. And you look at people who are conquered or colonized, what was, what is the unique thing about where we're at now, right? <clears throat> in, in the human, <clears throat> excuse me, in the human journey, let us all kind of like consider those who were colonized and those who did the colonizing the people that were colonized, occupied, whatever, were always there. They were always there. A stranger from somewhere else comes in. They're invited in first as, <clears throat> as a guest or even as a sense of, 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 of a long lost family member. You look at the the native people of the Americas, which is a real hard thing to say because <clears throat> maybe eight, 10,000 years ago, those people migrated from somewhere else and there were some other, you know, humans migrated around the world. Let's put it that way, over different, different eras, over thousands of years. But there were people who had been here a long time. And then a stranger came and they didn't reject that stranger right away. They didn't they didn't let that stranger die. They didn't let that stranger suffer, but they were foreign. And that stranger came from a different culture that was about the acquisition of resources. And they had a monetary system that pr produced class status, right? The more you have, the more you can do or whatever. And the next thing they did, once they learned a little bit about the land, they began to wipe out those others. They also said we wiped them out because we were stronger, we were smarter, we were better, right? And that's, you can put up to debate, I think based on what team you're on. 
if you're uh, indigenous to the, the northern hemisphere and somebody comes from another part of that hemisphere or another part of this world and wipes you out, you lost the war. You were vanquished. And the postmortem on that is what did you do that would have changed that? Had you known their culture, you would not have invited them in. You would not have welcomed them. But because you are an ancient people and you survive based on humanity, sharing, exchanging resources, equanimity of being, you had never seen anything like that, any behavior like that. And so here we are. And I think on a smaller level, we wear our different team jerseys and we otherize each other. When if we took a moment to be, to sit still with one another, you find that there is very little difference on the most basic level. You learn that from children. You know, um, I watch my kids play with other kids and they bond together based on common interests of what they like to play, be it Pokemon, be whatever. And it's really funny to hear them describe other kids. They don't describe them by race or religion. Like who likes this or who likes that? Who's louder? Who is, um, who consumes more airspace? They describe each other like in the great Vedic texts by temperament. And they, they connect based on temperament. You know what I mean? And and kids have a purity. There's a simplicity to that, like humans on earth. One of the tragedies of the Congo is that it had a, it had a amazing empire, uh, advanced civilization to the, that level, but we didn't have a word for stranger. And that wiped out the Congo, wiped us out. We're still suffering from inviting people in who had a different view of possession of resources. You're seeing it now. And I share that because I don't want to be congested. I want to be able to be me. I want to be able to remain human because if I look at this stuff and I wear the uniform of, a, of, of, a, of one of the Congo, I would be filled with violent rage and hate, and it would spew out in action. Every time I see electric cars, and I have to be driving one now, I think about it, that I don't know how many dead kids would equal each one of these cars. And I see people happily promoting the advancements of, of uh, the electric car, the move, they're everywhere here in L.A. I don't know how it is in New York, but they're everywhere here in L.A. And they're killing babies for that. And they don't have to kill the babies. That's what happens in your heart. You could have fair trade. But I know nature isn't fair. But you could have sustainable trade. Pay people what they're worth. You'll still become wealthy beyond your dreams. But you don't have to leave uh, uh, the land barren with corpses of children everywhere. I think about what goes on in the Middle East. You can't talk about it because we've changed the language that if you mention or discuss a level playing field of battle or why people would be outraged and why people would rebel, you will be labeled something. So that creates a congestion. So what you do is figure out who not to talk to who not to say things around. It's playing out now in courts. And everybody will have a loud and knowledgeable place they stand from, but it's a low dimension of knowledge. They know their side. They don't know the other side. And that creates another kind of congestion that damages our mind, it damages our body. So if we uncongest ourselves, Again, we become that dispassionate observer. We're able to see 
not just what's going on, but how things came to be. The troubles in the world, the troubles in the Congo started long time ago with the colonization of the Congo. The troubles in the Middle East started long time ago in the 1940s. And it was an ingredient. The ingredients of that was a recipe for disaster in all areas of the world. And when we're congested, we can't think anymore. Just like if you have a bad head cold or flu and your sinuses are congested, you can't breathe. When you play and see the world based on the team jersey you're wearing, it creates cognitive dissonance, a form of congestion, a form of hallucination. And it affects us in the micro and the macro. So if we want to be healthy, emotionally, spiritually, physically healthy, it would be a good idea to decongest yourself. Just like we flush our sinuses with a neti pot, flush our mind with knowledge. You know what I mean, Van? Yeah, I know what you mean conceptually. I do want to get into this because you raise a point that might be difficult for people to act on. Now, part of the difficulty is what we see in the outside world. So you talk about congestion and being able to talk to certain people. We're taking more of a risk now if you speak your heart and you do so in a way where you're unguarded. All of us now, I believe, need to have some limits, some awareness of what we're saying to whom, because the consequences are just too great. Uh, there's too much outrage. There's too much resistance to certain points of view. So that's part of the problem, but I wouldn't even say that's the primary problem. I think you can manage around that and you can find the right forum to express your ideas. You can have different types of conversations with different people. So I don't see that as being prohibitive. What I think might be more difficult is just the way that we've constructed ourselves. Because so much of our identity, the way... I don't really know how to put it. Uh, I was going to say the way that we feel about ourselves. Maybe it's the way that we see ourselves. The core of who we are has to do with these ideas that we've picked up over time about what's right and wrong, about who's good and bad, about history, about our people. Even if we have no real connection uh, to, uh, to a culture or to a certain set of events, even if we have no vested interest in a particular outcome, it doesn't affect our day-to-day somewhere along the way, this has become part of our identity through the conversations we've had, uh, through the family that we've grown up in, uh, through the types of people that we've spent time with, and frankly, probably through our own psychosis. Uh, I feel like a lot of our search for identity and meaning, it's almost like we're, we're grasping, we're grasping at straws, trying to find something to define ourselves, because we realize that that life ultimately is emptiness. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. I mean, that's the Buddhist idea. But really, what is at the core of this? Who are we? You know, if we're not our ideas, if we're not our causes, if we are not our trophies, our awards, uh, you think about something like nationalism or patriotism, which I've always found to be a weird idea. You know, what? why be patriotic? I, I, I can see patriotism being earned. I mean, if you feel like you're part of a well-functioning society and you're proud of the things that uh, a group of people have done, and you're part of that group, and you're on a mission together. To me, that makes sense. But being patriotic for the sake of being patriotic, I've always felt that that's just stupidity. Uh, yet you've got so many people around the world where patriotism is incredibly important. It's part of their identity. It's uh, part of their feelings of being strong or being right, being virtuous, being just. These ideas might have religious undertones to them. So if I'm on one side, I'm going to be saved. If I'm on another side, uh, then I'm going to spend all my time writhing in hell in the afterlife. And I'm not saying our audience has these views. I mean, this is kind of a simple-minded view, but I, I do feel like all of us have this issue that we are, we need almost some foundation, Z, some way of perceiving ourselves and ideas ideologies become a big part of that. And when we open ourselves up to knowledge, it's like, yeah, that's great on the one hand, 
but it, it can almost short circuit us. I mean, you've said this before. You've mentioned how you have discussions with certain people and they've got very strongly held beliefs and you present counterpoints or, or not even presenting arguments, but you start asking them questions to test the beliefs and you can see them getting very physically uncomfortable. And you can see almost something short circuiting in the mind, uh, which signals to me some kind of pain. Um, it's, it's something that you don't want to go through. I mean, you can't reconcile all the inconsistencies and you're struggling to make sense of all of these things and it's too much. It's easier to just retreat to whatever your position is. And these are people who are educated, who are self-aware. Uh, so it, help us think about this from a very practical standpoint. I mean, how do we go through that? How do we preserve the identity we have and still be open to different points of view without being threatened, without our mind constantly spinning, without getting into battles with ourselves? Or, or maybe, I mean, do, do we even need a sense of identity? Do we drop all of that? What are your thoughts? Well, I have more of an extreme view. And that's not for everybody, um, just based on the things that I've been through in the community that we've created, is we have, I don't even like this word diversity anymore because it's taken on really a bad, everything that used to be good is now bad. And so we have to find uh, more innovative ways of using the language. But in our community, we have people that basically represent every religion, every ethnicity, every age group demographic that you could imagine. And again, they have come together based on common temperaments, common views. Uh, they don't agree on everything. They don't look like everybody. They don't march in to, to one single drummer, but they do have common temperaments. They're inquisitive. They're willing to um, engage in discourse and leave and go have a tea together. It doesn't lead to some, either you look this way or you believe that. Either you declare this or you declare that. I haven't encountered that within our community. I've, I've encountered outside of our community. And so when I say that my views are extreme, my views include an idea of, of self-editing, self-critique, um, which is very far out for people. I use the same formula for health and wellness um, practices. Before you can do anything, you need to identify your role in it, who you are and how you think. Before you comment on the world, identify your biases, identify your values, identify your upbringing, and then take that in, into that equation, withdraw it from the equation, and now let's move forward. Let's do the declaration of you believe yourself to be this, this, and that, and now you know because of that, you will have certain blind spots, um, I used to share with people openly certain things I went through in life and they couldn't relate at all. There are people who can't relate to <clears throat> not really having access to the legal system in the way that most people think is common. They can't relate. It doesn't even make sense to them. There are people that don't understand being um, treated as less than a human being by medical care. And when you share it with them, it, 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 it smoke comes out of their ears. They almost short circuit. And they say, but Z, you're so nice. We're so close. Why don't people know who you are? Won't they? No, they don't. It's like an old saying, uh, what do you call a black man with a PhD, a poor helpless darkie, um, you know, or just whatever, because there's a segment of the world that has tribalized themselves to see me as other than. And if that is the dominant narrative, then it, it is pervasive to various degrees throughout the spectrum of society. And so um, I believe in identifying who you are. Be self-realized. Take self-ownership. And then when you're in an arena of diverse people of different backgrounds, you know how your view may be skewed. I have a client here that's suffering uh, uh, from some neuropathy and things like that post-stroke. So I suggested he go on a raw food diet. And he's a very intelligent man, very accomplished artist. And he says, oh, I don't know if I can take it. It doesn't taste that good. And for me, it was very shocking in a way to hear an intelligent person say that, 
But I also understood that he doesn't really understand the correlations of, and causalities of disease. So I was very patient with him and I said, I prescribed this to you for a period of time. You can embellish the food somewhat in a way so it's more palatable, but I need you to stay on this protocol for a period of time. That's it. Then I reminded him that the purpose of food is to nurture your body, not to entertain your palate. And when you understand the role of food in your life or try that, you will find that this is enjoyable. And he, he was open to it, but he still complained about the taste. And I said, which tastes better, this food or death? He said, well, the food tastes better than death. I said, okay, eat the food and not death. And then that's the way I approach things. And so I would say that we have to be a bit firmer with ourselves. We have to be harder, not with others, but with yourself. How did you arrive to the opinions and views that you have and opposed to another person arriving at that views? But it also can get challenging because Oftentimes, people who are abiding by the rules of the face of the committee, they're rewarded, they're heavily rewarded. And people who speak from a place of sincerity and integrity are often punished by our society. And so you will see that a person selling bullshit does a lot better than a person that's selling authenticity. But that person that sells authenticity lives with themselves better. And so it's not rich versus poor. It's not that. It's good to have abundance. It's good to make good financial decisions. It's good to do all that. What I'm saying is when you sell your soul, when you get past abundance and sustainable income and you want more, that's when the soul selling comes into play. As you see, the politicians are like trained monkeys when it comes to social views. If a political donor organization committee withdraws the funding, they sing a different tune. The funding comes back up, they sing a certain tune. Well, we don't want to be that person. You want to be somebody who has integrity and you can stand on what you believe and accept whatever comes with it and make those declaratives. I am somebody, I am a man, I am a woman, and I am myself. But it does require a lot of introspective work, a lot of self-realization work, a lot of yoga a lot of Tai Chi, a lot of Qigong, a lot of interfocus so that you can first shed the garments and labelings bestowed upon you without your consent so that you can then redress yourself with things that you've done by choice. Most of what we do, do is not by choice, it's by compelled. We were compelled that way. And now to be free and to exact upon your freedom, you have to identify your shackles. You know what I mean, Vin? Yes, you're talking, Z. It brings a few things to mind that I'm going to try and tie together. It, one is this idea that we talk a lot about of just knowing yourself and the I am meditation and being clear on who you are, uh, which is the starting point. The other thing, I was reading a book and it was around how people make decisions and how they come to believe what they believe. And it talked a lot about framing. And the reason framing is important is that framing speaks to people's values. So if you speak the language of values, you can get people to follow along. If you just talk to them in terms of facts and arguments, but you're not touching on their values, they're going to reject the evidence. Even if the evidence is clear, if it doesn't fit into their frame, uh, then it's almost like they don't even see it. So if we apply that to ourselves, you can almost run that in reverse, meaning if we're clear on who we are, we're clear on what our values are, use that as a starting point. And then everything else, all of the other views that we have about the world, 
all the other things that we want to say, the way that we want to express ourselves stems from that clear understanding of who we are and what we care about. If we're compassionate people and we care about humanity, then the idea that you have to be on one side or another side is going to fall away. That's going to become secondary because the first thing that we care about is welfare of, of a lot of different groups of people. And so we can come back to that. And so maybe that's, uh, Z, where the introspection comes in from. It, and I really like that word unshackling um, because in some ways it feels like it should be so simple. You know, we're talking about fluidity. We're talking about ease of movement. What can be more simple than that? Why do we have to go through the yoga, the tai chi, the introspection? Uh, it's because we have become so shackled and maybe we become shackled in a way that we don't even realize we're shackled. We've just picked up these ideas about life, about what's right and what's wrong, and we've never questioned them, so they become reality, and we can't see that there are actually chains that are preventing the expression of the more fundamental aspects of ourselves. Uh, if they don't prevent the expression, you know, if it so happens that they align with our values, then great. But a lot of times, it's not consistent with being a human being. Uh, what we're told to think or how we're told to act, it's not consistent with with our humanity. And like I said at the start of this, that's a lot of what I experienced. Uh, and honestly, it doesn't mean that you can act the way that you want to all the time, or you can say what you want to all the time. But having that clarity, once you have that clarity on who you are, what you care about, as you're saying, Z, you know how to roll, you know how to find like-minded people, you know how to navigate, you know how to appreciate different points of view. And I would argue life becomes a lot easier because you're not walking around with that tension. Uh, you know, when you're trying to force reality into a particular point of view, there's always anxiety because it doesn't necessarily fit. Uh, we're trying to make something fit that doesn't fit, uh, just admitting that maybe the way that we're thinking, the way that we're engaging uh, isn't working for us. Those shackles start to slip away. And we can be a lot more free. We can be a lot more fluid. And I think ultimately what you're saying, Z, is we can be a lot more healthy. I mean, both mentally healthy, mentally sharp, emotionally uh, clear. Uh, that ends up, I, I would imagine, I mean, you can say more on this than I, I can, but I would imagine all that anxiety that we're carrying around is going to lead to disease if we don't do something about it, uh, let alone uh, the day-to-day -day quality of our life and our ability to feel content and, and, and feel joy in all the things that we're doing day to day. So th those are just some of my thoughts, See, I don't know if there's anything you want to add. Yeah, in closing, I would say for all of us who are opting out to really just chime in on and, and think about this idea that there is uh, one person owns the truth. As my teacher, Mr. Baker, would always say, nobody owns the truth, and we're seeking it. And when we stop seeking it, that's when we live the lie. And that's where we see most of the world in, in the conflicts of the world is based on the congestion. People believe, they believe themselves foolishly to be independent and, and, and separate from others. We share air, the need for air. We share a need for water. We are common species. If we were not of the same species, we couldn't breed with one another. And all of the spectrums of people show that throughout the evolution of humanity, we have interbred bred with one another, and we became the different groups and tribes, starting first with small family units. Then people adopted those tribes. If you think about right now with the conflict, which is a touchy subject in the Middle East, most of the people <clears throat> that are fighting over the land are not indigenous to that land. Most of the conflicts in the world, the mining conflicts in, in Africa, the people that have brought the suffering are not indigenous to that area, meaning they haven't been there for thousands of years. And there's even name changes that people give to sound more local, right? Um, you think about the things that went on in South Africa. A group of people came from another place and felt that they could use that land better than the people that had always been there. The people that always had been there had their own tribal conflicts, but with a certain limit in understanding resources and boundaries. 
And then that created a certain conflict, a lot of suffering, a lot of genocide, a lot of things like that. It's the same playbook, but it depends on who you stand. I have, I have very close friends who are white South Africans. And I remember having a conversation and she said, yeah, apartheid was horrible, but the ANC was brutal. I said, but how did the ANC come about? Well, they were fighting the brutality of my people towards them. I said, so what, what's the problem? Why do you see it as so much worse that the people fighting for their survival should be more humane than the people that took their lives? It's a bizarre thing that humans do if we think of ourselves as other than each other. And that's what has brought me to this. So when it comes to our health, there are certain formulas, like I told this young man, you cannot be healthy and be unhealthy simultaneously. You cannot behave in an unhealthy manner and expect healthy results. The congestion of the ego, the congestion of the mind, the congestion of intellect creates a toxic outcome. And that's it. So let's be healthy. Yeah, let's be healthy. Let's be fluid. Let's be free. Feels good, man. Feels good to be alive and flow. Try and take somebody's life, they're going to fight you back. Even your own body. All right? All right, brother. Talk to you soon. Good talking to you as always. Peace. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.